This is our 12th lesson in Studies in Ephesians. This is a series that has been, we, we, get, a, we get response, new response every week, I think, through this series from someone. Written, text, email, Facebook, that really, really are into this journey um, of everything that we've done over the course of the last few years. I don't know that we've had as much immediate week-to-week feedback since John. John, John, we had spells in the Gospel of John where we went through that. We, I mean, I mean spells because that took years to get through. But So Ephesians is saying something, obviously, and, and, and I know that what it is saying is grace. Um, you don't have to read Ephesians deeply to catch Paul's grace. It, it really permeates every verse. Um, the word doesn't show up all of the time, but it's always there. You can't get around the gospel of grace looking at Ephesians. Why that's important is because Ephesians is pretty deep. Um, Ephesians takes us into some space that causes us to really have to think. There's nothing cheap about Paul's letter to Ephesus. And why that's important is because some people think grace is cheap or simple ABC elementary stuff. We don't need to hear more about grace. Grace is what got us saved. And yet here's a grace letter that's about as deep as it gets. And I think tonight will show us another example of this. Um, I want to title tonight Under Construction. And I do this because we're going to deal with a passage from Paul's second chapter in Ephesians in which Paul talks about us being built, but he juxtaposes it against us having already been built. Sounds like an oxymoron. How are you both built and being built? Which one is it? And we are a people that sort of demand those black and white, left and right, yes and no answers. Nobody, we don't like maybe in Bible study. And we, we hate I don't know. We hate maybe. Uh, we like, this is what happened, this is what the answer is, nothing else matters, this is all that matters. And Paul doesn't write that way. And, and we're going to explore tonight Paul saying, you've been built, you're being built, and if you get, you'll get to the end of it and think, which one is it? And the correct answer is both, because I know you know this, but we need reminded, a lot of things can be true at the same time in life. And sometimes they sound like totally opposite thoughts. Um, to give you an idea about what I'm talking about, I, I remember the Civil War historian Shelby Foote one time. I heard him giving a speech on the effects of the Civil War, and he said something that really stood out to me. He said, the Civil War took us from a country in which we were identified as the United States are and we become a country in which we were identified as the United States is. We went from an are to an is. And what he meant is that before the war, there was individual state nations. They were one country, but they were largely autonomous. So when you talked about the United States, you were talking about a collection. The United States are. The United States are going to do this. All of them put together are going to do that. After the Civil War, there was no illusion that 
states were their individual entities that had any more power than the federal government. And therefore now to say the United States are sounds weird to us. We say the United States is. The United States is going to do this. Um, why? Because it's a, we're talking about a singular unit. We're not talking about 50 individual nations that, dis, uh, that decided they were going to collectively do something. Well, that stands out to me because the church is that way, in a way. Um, when we talk about the church, we talk about it. We rarely talk about her. And why that's important of a distinction is because we're standing in a version of it tonight. There's a version of the it church. What is it? Building, structure, stuff. Yet we all know it's more than that. Because what it really is, is a her. It's she. It's an individual made up of a bunch of individuals. Both things are actually true at the same time. The church isn't it, but the church is a her. A lot of times what we're critiquing in the church is the it. We don't like the way they do it. We don't like the way they preach it. We don't like the way they sing it. We don't like the way they present it. We don't like the way they live it. We don't critique her. And we shouldn't necessarily because she, the church, is the bride of Christ. She is an organism that is living and breathing and moving and growing. And distinctions are important because Jesus is building his church, but Jesus isn't building it. Do you see the difference? We build it. We build churches. It. If you don't show up, it suffers. If you don't give, it suffers. If you decide you don't want to be a part of it, you don't have to be a part of it. But you're still part of her. You moved from one it iteration to another it iteration of the church, but it's still her, still the body. That's a very basic example of how two things are absolutely true at the same time and yet not at all the same thing because the it of the church is a building and a structure and an organization. The her of the church is all the it's put together and a bunch of people that aren't in anything. <laughs> they're not in it. They're not in an iteration at all, but they're still followers of Jesus. So when we say the church, a lot of times we think about a building and we think about a ministry and we do that because that's the iteration. But when we think about his church, we should think about her. This is a little hint as to how you can be both built and building all at the same time. Because we're not always talking, even though we're talking about you, you're one person, we're not always talking about the exact same thing at the same time. So let's read it from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. And we're going to take through the end of Ephesians 2 tonight. This will conclude this chapter. Now, therefore... You are no longer strangers and foreigners. I'm not going to mess with the therefore too much. You've been in this chapter. You know what the therefore is there for. He has torn down the wall. There's no, you're no longer outside of the family. You are fellow citizens with the saints. You are members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation, having been built, past tense, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, 
Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows progressively, future tense, grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built. Notice the contrast. Way back in verse 20, you have been built on the foundation. Verse 22, you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. In three verses, Paul says, you have been and you are being. You have been built, you are being built. Think about this journey that is called salvation. Uh, we, talked about, we talked a little bit about this last week, and I said that salvation needs to uh, be more than an event in your past. Let me update that just a little bit. Salvation is the entire, the entire salvation experience Maybe you're cognizant of it at the moment that you prayed your first prayer. But I would say that your salvation experience preceded your prayer. Like you started getting introduced to the love of God before you decided you were going to become a Christian. You made decisions along the way to keep listening. Or you made decisions along the way to keep saying no. But you were having experiences with God. You might have been doing what Paul was doing, kicking against the thorn bush. Remember when Jesus meets Paul... Saul on the road to Damascus, Saul, Saul, how long are you going to kick the thorns? You're persecuting me. Paul's salvation experience preceded the road to Damascus. The road to Damascus was his epiphany. That was his moment when he really got it, but that salvation experience. So you're being saved right now in ways you don't even yet know. You're being saved from, the thing, from thinking. You're being saved from processes. You're being saved from what you could be tomorrow, and you're becoming something else. This whole experience is a salvation experience. And so... In a very real sense, you came to Christ. Most of you could probably tell the moment. Like, oh, I remember when I said the prayer. I remember when I got baptized. I remember when I knew I was saved. Okay. That was the moment you had a revelation of your salvation. It wasn't the moment you got saved. I don't think. Because that was the moment that you realized what you had been built into. But you're not done being built. So you were, you were built into something, an awareness of Christ, an awareness of the love of God, the receiving of Jesus. But you didn't stop there. You've continued to be built up in every way since that day. And the building process sometimes requires we rearrange the furniture a little bit. Or that we walk into this room and go, you know, this room could be a little bigger. Let's tear this wall out. And if it structurally makes sense to tear the wall out, tearing the wall out becomes part of the building. But did you notice that right in the middle of building is deconstruction? I'm tearing down a wall so that I can build a bigger room. There's parts of our salvation experience that is tearing down stuff we've been through, stuff we've learned, stuff we don't believe anymore. And it's not backsliding. That's a... A lot of times people love to use the phrase backsliding anytime someone doesn't believe something they used to. We don't ever consider that changing your mind is part of forward stepping. We think changing your mind is backstepping. And we're wrong because changing your mind is part of forward stepping. I have this room, but I think the room could be a little bigger. I think the room could be different. I think I could knock that down and do that. I have a vision for something, and to do it, i got to knock something down. And so knocking things down, we love that, that sort of the modern term is deconstruction. 
call it what you will, maybe it's just spiritual growth, but whatever it is, is removing some of those old things out of the way. So being built is not simply building new structures. Being built can be rearranging the old structures and moving stuff around and knocking stuff over so that things can be built in the future. I've had to have the Holy Spirit knock things over in me that I was very confident in, that I believed in very much. And through the course of life, he had to tilt that thing over. And, and I have to participate in this. The Holy Spirit doesn't knock the room over for you. He doesn't walk into your spirit realm and push the furniture over and go, ha, 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 deal with that. That's not the process of growth. The process of growth is the Holy Spirit with you in that room saying, what do you think about this chair? And you go, I don't know, I like that chair right there. And he goes, okay, we can leave that chair right there. And then you get up and bump into it in the middle of the night. And so the next day he goes, what do you think about this chair? And you go, oh man, that's my favorite chair. And he goes, all right. And so the, that night you get up and you jam your toe into it and you curse. You scream through the house. And no, he don't hit you over the head with a hammer and go, now you're going to hell. Instead, the next day, when you let him, he goes, thought about that chair anymore? Maybe it's, it's really fighting against you. You start to realize that chair's just not in a good spot. Like I really, like moving it a few inches might have a real, it might really change my walk. So you slide it over and then that night you get up and you walk right past it and wow, how'd that happen? And there had to be a, just a little bit of rearrangement. You built, you were built into the kind of person that could walk in that straight line by moving some things out of that way. And so in some respects, the process of growth is the process of shuffling, deconstructing, knocking things down, but it never ends there. And I know we love to pray, Lord, I want you to come in my life and I want you to remove everything I don't need. You ever prayed that? I have. I've prayed that more times than I know how to count. Lord, just come in here and strip everything away you don't want. And I don't think the Holy Spirit operates that way. So the Holy Spirit goes, no, I'm not going to do that. That's the cheap way out. I don't, I don't just step into your life and start knocking furniture over and busting walls and tell you the best way to do it. We're going to participate in this. The participation is part of your growth process. If I just come in and do everything, you don't even know what I did. You don't know how we got there. I want you to know how we got there. I want this, is a whole, this whole thing is a salvific experience. This whole thing is getting you getting saved. Getting saved from all kinds of stuff. And so part of this process is understanding that I am being built let me show you, I want to I use as an example, Paul loves to show us something that is done and something that is undone. You've been built, you're being built. Is that a contradiction? Only if you keep your mind too small. If you open your mind and let him show you how this looks. So let me give you an example. Here's another example from Romans. Watch this one. You're going to know these. You just might not have realized how close they are in the text. Romans 8, 16, 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's one of the great revelations of your salvation experience is realizing that you're one of the children of God. That doesn't happen immediately, I don't think. Um, it can, but I think it's something you walk into. You start to realize that you're the children of God. And if you're a child, then you must be an heir because children get an inheritance. So now you got something that's yours because you know who you are. 
You're an heir of God and you're a joint heir with Christ. The more you know about Jesus, the more you know about your stuff. Remember we talked about your spiritual bank account in Ephesians 1. The more you know about Jesus, the more you know about your inheritance, the more you know about your inheritance, you know what belongs to you. The more you know what belongs to you, the more you claim it, the more you live it, the more you won't let go of it. Why would you? It's yours. If indeed we suffer with Him. Uh-oh, that, that means that there's going to be some tough stuff as I'm living this out. Not everything's easy. This is the thorn in your rose garden right here. Sometimes you get stabbed along the way. And it doesn't mean you took the wrong path. It just means you're on the path where people suffer. Because that's what happens when we follow Jesus. That we may also be glorified together. So here's what we're hoping for. We're hoping that since we're heirs with Christ and we're suffering in one way or the other, someday we're going to get glorified, right? That's like the Christian goal. Like someday I'm going to have the same body that Jesus has. So just Christianity 101, Jesus the man goes to the cross, the man dies, he goes into the tomb. Three days later, the stone rolls away, Jesus comes out in a glorified body. The kind of body that walks through walls, and you, you, know, the, you know the story. Glorification. Next level stuff. Paul says, that's what we're going for. Right? Going for that. Okay, that's Romans 8, 17. Sneak ahead just a little bit. Same chapter. Romans 8, 29. Whoever he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus is firstborn, and we are second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, but we're in the same family, same bloodline, recreated people. Moreover, whomever he predestined, these he called. Whom he called, these he justified. Those he justified, these he also glorified. All of these are past tense words. You've already been predestined, you've already been called, you've already been justified, and you've already been glorified. 13 verses earlier, he said, here's what I hope. I hope that as I suffer with Christ, someday I'm glorified. 13 verses later, he goes, guess what? You've been sanctified, you've been called, you've been justified, and you've been glorified. Which one is it? Are you hoping to be glorified someday? Or have you been glorified now? And multiple things can be true at the same time. I have been sanctified and justified and glorified in Christ because as He is, so am I in this world. He's resurrected. I'm resurrected. I don't look resurrected. It's because I have another resurrection coming. And so there is the part of me that has been built and there's a part of me that is being built. How does this all line up with finished work? I thought the work was finished. Well, my work is finished in regards to being called and being justified and being glorified. He's not going to do any more to justify me or to glorify me or to sanctify me in regards to the work of the Spirit. And yet, there are parts of my life in which I, I still believe in a sanctification in which I'm putting things aside for Him. A part of my walk in which I'm allowing Him to trim and to prune and to take off of me the things that don't need to be there. How can they happen? Because it's finished and yet I'm a part of that work. I'm not finishing the work, but I'm a part of His work. Let's go back to Ephesians 2. Jump back to our text. Verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. Let's deal with this for a little bit. Um, really what we do tonight is take just a few spots in this Ephesians 2 and we run to another Pauline passage where Paul qualifies it. 
I told you Ephesians is deep. Part of the reason it's so deep is because it's one of Paul's letters as much as maybe more than any of his other letters where his commentary on what he's saying in Ephesians is found elsewhere. So you can find it in other Pauline letters. And that either leads us to believe that the, maybe the church at Ephesus already knew those things or that Paul just fleshes them out in other letters. Maybe Ephesians is, it's, it's, the thought process behind it is deep. You've got to go elsewhere to find the fullness of it. So I want to talk for a moment about that foundation and that building. Um, this is an interesting phrase, first of all, that Paul said that the, the foundation is built on the apostles and the prophets with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. So Paul's idea is that the early church very much had, its, had found its footing on what the apostles were teaching. And that the apostles were teaching what the prophets had taught. So for Paul, the church does not simply uh, exist as this entity of a bunch of people who just believed in a resurrected Jesus, but they exist as people who believe in a resurrected Jesus as a chief cornerstone, but that the underpinnings of that faith is found in the prophetic language and is found in the works of the apostles. Um, This is the very reason why Paul encourages Timothy at the end of his life to study the scriptures so that you can see your salvation is in Jesus Christ. And the only scriptures Timothy had were the Old Testament. So how is Timothy supposed to study the Bible to find Jesus when he doesn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? I mean, if you handed the Bible to to the average Christian and all you gave him was the Old Testament, you said, find Jesus, they'd say, where's the New Testament? I, I mean, I need Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and we'll find Jesus. And yet, the Jesus that the early church saw... If they didn't see him with their own eyeballs, then they had to believe it by testimony. And if they didn't have, they didn't have testimony, they had scripture. What scripture? The Old Testament. And so the prophetic language led us all the way up to Jesus. And the prophetic language that led to Jesus becomes the underpinning of the church, which is why the church should preach the Old Testament. Now, Paul doesn't say we're built on the law. He doesn't say we're built on the Ten Commandments. The underpinning of the church should not be, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt. But the underpinning of the church should be the prophetic language that leads to Jesus. So if you're going to preach the Old Testament, preach it right or don't preach it at all. Really. And that's, that's Paul's language. He goes, our foundation is the prophetic language of the cornerstone and the apostolic testimony to the cornerstone. So we have the apostles who testify to Jesus, listen to them. We have the prophets who prophesy of Jesus, listen to them, but chiefly listen to Jesus. Chief cornerstone, Jesus. Jesus is number one. He's at the top. I'm a disciple of Christ. I'm not a disciple of Isaiah. I'm not a disciple of David. I'm not a disciple of Elijah. I'm not a disciple of Paul, Peter, James, John. And that's an easy trap to fall into. Even now, 2,000 years later, Christians fall into that to where we We almost demean the words of Jesus and elevate the words of Paul or elevate the words of John or elevate the words of Peter. And here's a whole whole bunch of words written in red over here by Jesus. And every time we find one we don't like, we run over to Paul and go, yeah, but Paul said this. I I get a lot of Christians will do this. They'll go, what do you think about such and so chapter and verse? And it's a Jesus statement. And you start talking and then somebody will butt in and go, yeah, but Paul said. It's almost like they, they feel like, well, Paul came along and went, okay, Jesus was super confusing. You don't really have to pay attention to what Jesus said. Let me clear it up for you. And, I, and granted, Paul didn't have the words of Jesus written down. 
Paul doesn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in his back pocket. So Paul doesn't have Jesus quotes. In fact, you know how many times Paul quotes Jesus in the epistles? If you came up with the number zero, you nailed it. If you go to the book of Acts, you get a passing glance where Paul, someone is quoting a Paul sermon and they write the words in red. And the words they write in red are not in the Gospels. Paul goes, as our Lord said. And then you get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and go, where did he say that? So, I don't know. Maybe the Lord said it to Paul. Didn't say it to the rest of us. Uh, that, by the way, was it's more blessed to give than to receive. Did you know that? Paul quotes Jesus, says our Lord told us it's more blessed to give than to receive. And then that's not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm not saying Jesus, that's not the spirit of Jesus, because I think it is the spirit of Jesus, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. But that's a freebie. You know, I, don't, I won't charge you for that one. Um, so the beauty, beauty of the church then is she is built on the foundation of the prophetic, not the foundation of the law. And this is why we get real shaky. Our, our underpinning gets very shaky whenever we become a law institution. When the church becomes a law institution, we, we're, we're on a wrong foundation because we're, we're built on Moses. We're not built on Jesus. The prophetic language of Jesus, the apostolic testimony of Jesus, and then Jesus himself. Now, let me show you what Paul means by this. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. By the way, the pretext to this is Paul going, some of you are bragging that you're of Paul. Some of you are bragging that you're of Peter. Some of you are bragging that you are from Apollos. Some of you are bragging that you are from Christ. All right. And then Paul comes along and says, stop with that silliness of trying to pick who's who and figure out whose foundation's better. You know what we are? 1 Corinthians 3, 9. We are God's fellow workers. The we there is Apollos, Peter, Paul. And, and all of us, really. But specifically, Paul's talking about him and the other apostles. We're just, we're just workers. You guys are God's field. Midstream, Paul changes the metaphor and doesn't stick a line through it. You don't have an eraser, you know. But he, he doesn't put a line through it either. He just changes stream. He goes, you're God's field. No, better than that, you're God's building. Which I like because what's Ephesians 2 say? You were built, you are being built. Okay, so here's the commentary on Ephesians 2. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another person's going to build on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Okay, this is important. I've given you the foundation. What's the foundation? The prophetic image of Jesus, the apostolic testimony of Jesus, Jesus' chief cornerstone. Paul goes, this is the building we've laid out. We showed you the prophetic word, Jesus is coming. We've showed you the apostolic testimony, signs, wonders, and miracles, Jesus has come. We show you Jesus himself. Now, be careful what you do with it. Take heed how you build. See, he has built you as his children, but you are building something. You are building a testimony. You are building an image. The world likes to say you're building a brand. Okay, that's market talk. You're building a character. You're building something in front of someone having already been built on the foundation. You're building on top of that foundation. No other foundation can anyone lay them which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now Paul has Jesus as the whole foundation. Remember, he told them, in Ephesians, it was the prophets and the apostles, Jesus' chief cornerstone here. The whole thing's really Jesus. And then this is fascinating. If anyone builds on this foundation, 
with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. Six building materials. I don't put too much effort. We squeeze these things until we over-preach them, and we preach the glory right out of them. We'll do a whole series on the six items that you can build your foundation on, and we'll come up with what is gold versus what is silver, and you know, gold, some superior form of the anointing, and then there'll be... It's exhausting. And you get to the end of it, and you don't even know what, you don't even know what you're doing anymore. And you, you don't want to build a foundation. You just want to go home. <laughs> So Paul's not really trying to squeeze this out. If he was, he'd do a lot of work with this. He doesn't. He's really just setting you up for something. Here's the basic thought. Gold, silver, precious stone is stuff that endures. It lasts. It's valuable. It means something. You put your hands on it. It doesn't go away. Wood, hay, and straw rots, falls apart when it rains, easy to burn. None of that stuff on the first three. All of that stuff on the last three. And Jews love triad language. Hebrew language, I love triad language, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Outer court, inner court, holy place. That's, that language is all through the Old Testament. So Paul just picks a couple of triads. He goes, here's three good things, here's three things that perish. He goes, let's build a house with them. Verse 13. Each one's work will become clear because the day will declare it. I like that the New King James capitalized day. It's really a reference to a day of justice, a day of judgment. Somehow, someway, whatever you're putting on this foundation is going to have to stand before God. Guess where he goes? 2 Corinthians 5, he says, all of you are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That sounds like a day, right? You're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to bring your stuff to Jesus. Whatever you did on that foundation is going to be revealed by fire, and the fire is going to test your work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire. So Paul doesn't go back to the gold, silver, precious stones anymore, the wood, hay, and stubble. He doesn't need to because he's just put fire on them. What happens if you put fire on gold, silver, and precious stones? They survive. What happens if you put fire on wood, hay, and straw? (laughs) They don't survive. Illustration accomplished. Paul goes, you're going to stand in front of him on that day, and fire's going to happen. So I got news for you. If you think you're going to miss the fire because you found Jesus, the fire is Jesus. John said, there's one coming after me who's preferred before me. Whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose, I baptize you with water. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And don't co-opt that to a charismatic experience. To say, oh, what they mean is you get saved in your baptism and then you get the Holy Ghost with fire. No, when you meet Jesus, you get the fire. His fan is in his hand and he's thoroughly purging this room of your life. He puts you on the foundation called Jesus and you've been building all kinds of stuff on it. And some of the stuff you built on it will last through the fire. And some of the stuff you built on it ain't got a chance. Ain't got a chance in the fire. Right? The beauty of this is you go, well, that's kind of condemning. Why? It's not condemning. How's it end? Your work's going to get burned up or it's not. You've either done some stuff here that's going to last or you're doing some stuff here that's a waste of time. And we all got both sides of this, by the way. 
you got some gold, but don't kid yourself. You got a barn full of straw. I mean, you got whole structures built out of popsicle sticks and scotch tape and you're calling it holy and good and anointed and blessed and gifted and God's going, no, that's none of that. This is all foolishness. That's okay. I love you anyway. You want to move that chair? No, I like that chair. Okay. Well, let's just run into it. And we will. We'll just run into it. And he goes, oh, hey, hey how's that feel? And you go, well, I didn't like that very much. He goes, well, neither did I. I don't like watching my kids get hurt. So the next night, you want to move that chair? No, I like that chair. And that's your popsicle house. And you're pretty excited about it. And if you ever put it in the crucible of the cross, it'll fall apart. It won't last. Something dies. This idea that nothing in me needs to die, I already met Jesus. You don't understand what this is about. There's whole chairs that need to move. There's whole rooms that need to be rearranged. You're already built on the foundation, but you're doing something. So don't expect you're going to know the verse when you need it because he finished the work. Greater is he, it's in me. I'm going to know everything I need to know when I face the devil. I don't read my Bible. Why would I need to read my Bible? The work is already finished. I don't need to know what the Bible says. Well, good luck. Because when it comes time to needing to know what it says about you, you're not going to know what it says about you. I'm not condemning you. You don't want to read your Bible, read your Bible. But don't get mad when you hit the chair. Because you're going to have any idea why it's even there. And he goes, you know, I cover this. You could have wrestled this out. We could move this. You go, I don't need to do any of that. That's religion. I don't need religion, bless God. I don't need to praise. I don't need to give. Okay, great. And a lot of times what we're confusing is the it instead of the she. I don't need it. But you need her. Because she knows something you don't know. And. He knows something you don't know, and they got a strength you don't have. And you can get all up in the air about the it, and you probably should get up in the air about some of the it. The church isn't it. But it's doing the best it can, really. It's the she that makes up who we are, and we make up a part of that, and she's precious to the Lord. So why is this not condemning? Because even though your work is destroyed, you yourself will be saved through that fire. So let it burn, baby, burn in Jesus. What doesn't burn up here will burn up there. Has to. Jesus said in Mark 9, 50, all of you shall be salted by fire. What do you mean? What he said. I'm going to, to walk every one of you through the fire. And the good news is, you want, to talk, you, want to, you want to use the Old Testament as prophetic language? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go down to the fiery furnace, and who goes in with them? How many people did we put in the fiery furnace? Nebuchadnezzar says, three. Then why do I see a fourth man? He looks like the son of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out not smelling like smoke, and the fetters are off their hands and their feet. Because when you walk into the fire, you're met by the son of God, and whatever you don't need gets burned up in him. That's good news. So when someone says to you, go to hell, Maybe you should say, I probably will for a little bit. Now, I'm not trying to lay out some theological treatise. I'm just saying to you, yeah, there's got to be some fire. But the good news is that when I go, he goes with me. <clears throat> yeah, I'll go, but I will not go alone. Because I'm built on the cornerstone that is Christ. I, I got some gold and some silver and some precious stones, true. I got whole barnfuls of straw and wood and stubble and it's embarrassing and it's not great. 
but I shall be saved. What doesn't need to be, won't be. What does need to be, will be. Why? Because he built me, and whatever I'm building will either stand up under the crucible of his love, or it will fall under the crucible of his love. And that's good news. This is how you are both built and being built. This is how you both have it, and you're both walking into it. Ephesians 2, 21, 22. One one more set. In whom the whole building, this is back to our, our core verses. This is the end of two, by the way. The whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Holy Spirit. So God is actively building us, her, the church, as a temple of the Holy Spirit. The greatest asset that the believer has, I know I just said to you, you should read your Bible. I think you should, and you should be in it. You're already part of her, but you should find an it because there's probably some members of the body in the it somewhere that needs you. You should probably give to what matters because if you don't give to what matters, it might go away. Um, that makes sense, right? Um, all, I'm serious about all of that, but at the end of the day, your greatest asset is not your Bible and it's not your local church. And it's not your ability to give or fast or pray or praise. Your greatest asset is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it is good for you that I go away. I've always thought that I would have argued with Jesus if I'd have been there. Can you imagine at the last meal, Jesus goes, hey guys, it's good for you that I go away. I'd have raised my hand. And go, this, you're, you're nuts. It's good for me that you leave. Every time you leave, I get depressed. Every time you leave, I don't have power. I want to be in the same room with you. And Jesus goes, it's good for you that I go away because if I don't go away, he can't come. And he goes, man, when he gets here, he said, he's going to show you things you cannot yet know. And he is never going to leave you and he's going to walk alongside of you. And he is going to glorify me and he's never going to speak of himself, but he's always going to speak of Jesus. Your greatest asset is the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. It's what separates you from someone who has no... People, people get upset if you give any indication that maybe someday in the cosmic eternal future, God saves people that didn't accept him in their lifetime. I'm open to that. I'm open to him saving them. I'm not saying that I don't know what happens 10,000 years from now. I'm open to him saving them. And they go, well, then what's the use of living for God now? Everybody's going to go home anyway. And I think it, it's unbelievable to me how little we think of the Holy Spirit. Yeah unbelievable to me that we would come up with that statement. It tells me we've had so little encounter with the person of the Holy Spirit who walks with us, talks with us, leads us and guides us that we actually have believed the lie that the best thing about being saved is missing hell after you die. And you can know Christ now and have the Holy Spirit to walk with you, to talk with you, and when you go through the hell you're going to go through before you die, and you will, He goes in with you. Sign me up for that. I mean, I hope everybody is saved in 50,000 years. But I really want to go ahead and get started now if I get that Holy Spirit stuff. You mean I get in me now what Jesus had in him then? Sign me up. That's, what I, that's why I want to live the life of God now. Because I believe he's actually doing this. He's building all of us into a place where God is happy to live. <laughs> why wouldn't you want that? 
You wouldn't if you think God's mad at you and always condemning you and ready to break your leg and give your kids cancer and take your job away from you, which is why we got to preach a loving father because there's nobody going to want the Holy Spirit if all he does is browbeat you. Some of my first introductions to the Holy Spirit was convictor, knock you out in the floor, won't put up with any crap. He's not going to take it. He's going to be on you all the time, convicting you. Your life's going to be a living hell if you run from God. And went, whoa, I don't know if I want the Holy Spirit. If this is what's, what I'm in for, it was only when I really started to read Jesus that I went, wait a minute, if I get the Holy Spirit that Jesus had, sign me up. Which is interesting because in Pentecost, we told people that Jesus was the baptizer with the Holy Ghost. If we'd have really preached that, what we would have been telling them is, is that Jesus baptizes you with himself. Because he said, I'm going to take what is mine and I'm going to give it to you. That's what the Holy Spirit is. I'm going to take the spirit that's in me and I'm going to give him to you. When I baptize, I'm just simply pouring me into you. I'm dunking you into me. That's you can't beat that. That's as good as it gets. So we're being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. We've got to land this. First Peter 2. All right, let's, let's let Peter explain Paul as well as possible. Coming to him. 1 Peter 2, 4. We come to Christ as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but we're chosen by God and precious. You also. Let me, let me stop. I threw a pronoun in, we. I said, coming to him as a living stone, rejected by men, but we are chosen. The reason I threw that in is because I've read it this way for so long. And then sometimes it hits me that it doesn't read that way in the English. It should. It should read, we are chosen by God. What we do here is we, we come to Jesus as a living stone. We think that rejected by men means Jesus was rejected by men, but chosen by God and, and precious. And we go, see, Jesus is precious. But truthfully, what he's saying to us in the Greek is that we come to him, we are a living stone, rejected by men, chosen by God. We are precious. It's good news. He picked you because you are precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. Not only are you chosen, not only are you precious, you're also being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So don't ever think that the Christian life has no sacrifice. If you're hearing a grace message that tells you grace does not, has, the grace message has no sacrifice, it's just... We don't understand what we're talking about. The whole Christian experience is a sacrifice. Paul said we present ourselves living sacrifices. We live this out every day. What part of me is wood, hay, and stubble? Start burning it up now. I lay that before you now. Therefore, it's also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He who believes on Him will by no means be put to shame. This, of course, is Jesus. Therefore, to you who believe, He is precious. He already told you you were precious. When you start believing, Jesus becomes precious. To those who are disobedient, the stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. It's a stone of stumbling. It's a rock of offense. They stumble because they're disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But here's you. You are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're his own special people so that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You were not a people, but you are now the people of God. So Peter's including all Gentiles. Same way Paul did in Ephesians 2. 
Middle wall petition's gone. We're all one human. Preached that last week. We're all one human. And because of that, we are now the people of God. We had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So what is he building? This is what he's built. This is you. Chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, his own special people. Has built you. Is building you. Let's land on Jesus. Best spot to land. John 17, 23. Jesus said, I am in them. He's talking to his father. I'm in them. You are in me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus is in game for his church is to make us perfect. One body. So that action is undergoing and Jesus prayed it. Father, let's do this for our people. Let me, let me, I tried to give a sort of a finishing salvo. Christ finished the work for our redemption on the cross. There's past tense. We are righteous, sanctified, justified by faith in that work. We are part of the family of God built upon Jesus. At the same time, we are under construction. He is working on us. He is trimming us. He is fashioning us. He is removing. He is adding. He's pushing chairs. He's knocking down walls. We are made perfect in Christ. We are being made perfect in Christ. Both things true at the same time. He did the work. And as the little kids sang in Sunday school, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Well, they weren't wrong. He is still working on me. Let's pray. A lot here tonight. A lot here, as far as I'm concerned, a lot of goodness too. A lot of stuff to really chew on and think about. As you walk through life, the Holy Spirit never leaves you, never forsakes you. And if He reveals to you something that looks like wood, hay, and stubble, put it before the crucible of the love of the Father. See what happens. Let the fire. This should probably be our prayer more often. Is Christ, put me into the fires of your love so that I experience Jesus today in a fresh and new way. Father, we know we are built in Christ. Sanctified, justified, glorified. We also know we're being built. Fitly framed together, as your word says, into something special. Show us that which has been done so we can rejoice in it. Show us that which is being done so we can participate in it by faith. So that when we hit that chair in the middle of the night, that maybe we figure out we could move it or maybe sell it. It might not be where it needs to be. It might be something in our life that could very well go and would if we could put it in the furnace. That furnace is your love. So give us a revelation of that in Jesus' name. Amen.